Hello and welcome to the Southampton Audio Programme for today's game against Fulham. In today's issue, we have a word from your manager, Ruben Sellers, our feature interview, an overlook at our opposition, and of course, a word from Franny Benali. Dear supporters, welcome to St Mary's for today's Premier League match against Fulham. We cannot ignore the situation in front of us. This has been a really hard season for everybody, from the management to the backroom staff, the players, directors and office staff. But most of all you, the fans, who support your club no matter what. You are the one constant. We will continue to fight for every ball and every point until the last kick of the last game here at St Mary's against Liverpool. As things stand, we still have a chance. No matter how slim that chance is, we have to keep believing in ourselves and what we are doing and give everything to take all of the remaining nine points available. We knew the importance of Monday's game at Nottingham Forest and did a lot of things well in a high-pressure environment. We started the game positively and scored three goals away from home. But we were punished for every mistake. That is how tough the Premier League is and unfortunately has been the story of the season so far for us. Today we face a Fulham side who have had a very good first season back in the Premier League and are close to securing a top-half finish. I would like to welcome Marcus Silva, his coaching staff and players and congratulate them on the excellent job they have done ever since they arrived two summers ago when the club had just been relegated to the Championship. It shows how quickly things can change in football. It was amazing to see the support you gave us at the City Ground, staying till the end and applauding the players. It means a lot to us and we will continue working to give you something back. We march on. Time now for your Southampton Women's Update. Southampton FC women fell to defeat in their final game of their first ever championship season at home to Sheffield United as a single chance proved the decider in the game Saints dominated. The visiting Blades looked to start the game on the front foot, delivering a number of searching balls across the box within the first 10 minutes, but nothing to seriously trouble the Saints back line or keeper Kayla Rendell, who returned to the starting eleven after illness. Sophia Ferro looked to be home and dry just before the 20-minute mark when the number 12 brought down a wonderfully weighted ball over the top. But when she appeared to be unfairly felled just outside the box, the referee waved away appeals for a free kick. With Saints starting to dominate possession, it was less than five minutes before they created their next chance. Megan Collett did well to dink the ball over her nearest defender and race into the space behind before switching the play to Ella Morris. Morris drove into the box and slammed a shot towards the bottom corner, but Sheffield United's Franz Denson did well to get down and tip the ball away. In the second half, the visitors had the first sight of goal as the ball flashed across the box, evading all Saints shirts. The Blades, in black, only needed the final touch, but there was no player on hand to provide it. Saints, though, looked lethargic despite the warning signs of the Blades' opportunities, and it didn't take long for the away side to make their second half energy count. On the hour mark, Courtney Sweetman-Kirk latched onto the ball in the box after her first shot was cleared off the line by Millie Mott. She was able to turn home the rebound from close range. Two Saints changes ensued, with Chloe Peplow and Beth Lumsden replacing Alice Griffiths and Katie Wilkinson. Lumsden quickly looked bright in possession, with her pace seeing her drive past her defender down the left-hand side, though she was unable to find a teammate in a dangerous position. Another attacking change saw Lexi Lloyd-Smith enter the fray in the 72nd minute and almost enjoy the perfect start. Farrow and Lloyd-Smith played a neat 1-2, which saw the latter well-placed in space in the box, but a combination of a slip and pressure from the blade Charlotte's Newsham saw her unable to strike the ball cleanly, and the visitors were able to clear. Meanwhile, the visitors looked a different side with the goal buffer and tested the Saints' back line as the game headed into the final 10 minutes. 
Mary and Spacey Kale tried one final throw of the dice and sent on Megan Vine to replace Sophia Farrow in the 85th minute, the number 11 providing fresh legs and attack alongside the hard-working strike force. But despite the Saints' earlier dominance, the single goal would deny them a winning end to the season, seeing them finish a very creditable sixth in the Barclays Women's Championship. You just want to give back to them for everything they do for you. For Romeo Lavia, like all of his Southampton teammates, this Premier League season was not panned out the way he hoped. But the talented 19-year-old has no regrets about becoming a Saint, forever grateful to the club that gave him the opportunity to dip his toe in at the deep end for the first time. It is with familiar maturity beyond his years that Romeo Lavia calmly reflects on his first season in the Premier League, or, as he puts it, first step in professional football. He may have played in the Manchester City first team a couple of times before signing for Southampton, no mean feat for a 17-year-old, but for Lavia his career started here. There are distinct parallels in the way that the Belgian carries himself on and off the pitch, there is a certain understated confidence, not playing up to the cameras, but unfazed by the attention. He feels at home in any environment. Whether his opposite number is closing him down at a pace or in a congested midfield, or he's addressing Saints as tough as time since sliding into League One, the teenager takes it all in his stride. Lavia, who turned 19 in January, has already surpassed 30 appearances in all competitions in his breakout year, a figure that would have been higher but for injury. Quite soon after his arrival, he became an automatic selection when fit. The midfielder reveals himself to be a keen football researcher. I like to search things up on the internet. I looked up the players who have done it before. He says of becoming a top flight regular at such a young age. I was like, if they've done it, why would I not do it as well? I was quite confident, but obviously I knew that I would have to be patient. Contrary to such serene performances that would suggest otherwise, there have been obstacles along the way. The jump from academy football to playing in front of 30,000 plus crowds, sometimes double that, takes some getting used to and added pressure. Lavia admits, though, that the noise can affect communication on the pitch. The confidence to talk to teammates or below, as a hostile environment can dictate, is something he's needed time to develop. I'm getting used to it. He smiles. I'm still impressed in some games, at home or away, in different atmospheres where the fans are just crazy, but it's been good. I always used to be counting at youth level, from when I was 10 until 17, so it's always been a part of me, he says of being a leader on the pitch. Even though it's different because you're with teammates who have been more experienced than you, so you're more listening, but I've still got that in me and I still try to implement it in the team. A lot of teammates helped me with doing that when I first arrived because straight away they told me that now you're in the first team environment, there's certain things on the pitch that you have to change or do better to be able to get to that level where you're controlling the midfield. So that played a big part. Stepping into a midfield containing James Ward-Prowse and Noriel Romeo, whose careers combined for more than 700 professional appearances versus Lavia's two prior to this season, you can understand the hesitancy to dish out advice but it was a significant evolution that needed to happen quickly. On the pitch, there's more fans, so you can't hear. You have to be more vocal, he insists. It did take a bit of time, because I have incredible respect for all my teammates. They're much more in this world than me, so I was taking every bit, and then over time, step by step, I was trying to say some words if I could. But also always checking, because with the pace of the game, everything changes in a split second, so you have to be on your toes all the time. 
I just try to play my game and help the team with my qualities that can help control the game. This ability to control the game is the most impressive aspect of Lavia's breakthrough. Young players who burst on the scene, to coin Micah Richards' viral turn of phrase, tend to play off the cuff. Often managers and experienced teammates will put up with a sprinkling of naivety because they make things happen. They're direct and fearless, enthusiastic and razor sharp across the ground, unpredictable to play against because sound tactical habits and game management hasn't been fully coached into their physique yet. What makes Lavia different is that he plays like a veteran. He knows when to slow things down and keep possession, when to play forward and force the issue, when to take a risk. His awareness of opposition players that allows him to escape any situation without losing the ball makes him press resistant and starts many Saints attacks. These are habits usually garnered from being in such scenarios thousands of times before over many years and hundreds of games. Lavia already has them. I'd probably say the way I've been as a footballer growing up, he shrugs modestly when asked where this unique talent comes from. His football upbringing started at Anderlecht, the club he supports in his home city of Brussels, at eight years old. He explains how he moved between positions from striker, my mum used to say I was too slow, to midfielder, to centre-back and back into midfield, where he has stayed since he was 13. His understanding of multiple positions has surely enhanced his football intelligence. Lavia's sliding door moments, every player has one, arrived when he was playing in a youth tournament for Anderlecht, age 14. Sounds pretty normal, right? Except Pat Guardiola was there, invited by event organiser Kevin De Bruyne. It's true, I didn't expect him to be there, Lavia recalls, seemingly still shocked. He was at the KDB tournament and he was a guest, but we played the final and he was there watching the whole game. We took a picture with him, the whole team, and at the moment I was like, what a manager. Whatever thing he's done in his career, it was amazing. Guardiola signed Lavia two years later, gave him a debut, a year after that, and sold him to Saints the following summer, keen to watch his latest protégé develop from afar. De Bruyne, meanwhile, has become a teammate and opponent, the toughest Lavia has faced this season. I always said to myself I would never want to play against him. When it happened, that was the confirmation, and now a teammate again, after Lavia's first call up to Belgium, senior squad in March, which resulted in his debut as a late substitute in the 3-2 win over Germany. Special, really special. He smiles, taking a deep breath for my family and for myself, because that's one of my biggest dreams. So I was really happy to get caught up and even more to step on the pitch against Germany. Special, really special. He smiles, taking a deep breath for my family and for myself, because that's one of my biggest dreams. So I was really happy to get called up and even more to step on the pitch against Germany. De Bruyne, scorer of the winning goal in Cologne, remains a close ally and an inspiration for Lavia. Now the Red Devils captain, in the wake of Eden Hazard's international retirement, the City Talisman was one of the first to message Lavi and congratulate him on the call-up. The whole experience, being surrounded by his country's elites, was a thrill, but one he wants to experience again and again, with next year's Euro 2024, also in Germany, a realistic target. I'm just thinking about it again, and I remember the first session I didn't really realise, but I was just looking left and right like, wait... He was playing in the Champions League last week. I was like, wow, that's crazy. I tried to enjoy it and make the most of it. I just feel like if I do the things right, things will come. So I don't put any pressure on myself. I just concentrate on what I can control and then the rest will come at the right time. For now, his focus remains on giving back to Southampton, to the staff who've helped him, the coaches who have improved him 
the teammates who have matured him and the fans who love watching him play. First of all, I'm really grateful that the Southampton fans gave me the chance to have my first step in professional football. And looking back, I'm really happy to have made this step here. I've really enjoyed it so far. I've learned so much about the club and I honestly feel like a part of a family because you know most of the people around the building and you just want to give back to them for everything they do for you during the week and the whole year, really. So that gives me motivation to give my all for the rest of the season. Time now for your tactical watch, once again, by Sam Tai. Fulham's first season back in the Premier League has been a success with safety already secured. What kind of test will they offer? As one of very few teams safely distanced from either the relegation fight or your European chase, and with the season-ending injuries piling up, you could forgive Fulham for letting off the gas a little. Instead, they're competing as hard as ever, giving Manchester City and Liverpool good games and putting five past Leicester City on Bank Holiday Monday. The Whites are playing with an attacking freedom and joy that perhaps can only come with safety secured and with their only real remaining goal to finish above local rivals Chelsea. That kind of carefree flow makes them a dangerous opponent this weekend. What threats must Southampton be wary of? The biggest piece of team news for this game is Alexandra Mitrovic's return from suspension. He's missed the last eight games as punishment for pushing a referee in the FA Cup and will finally be able to join the matchday squad for the first time since March. Manager Marco Silva described the punishment as tough, not only on the player but the whole club and despite likely lacking sharpness, no one else would be surprised to see him take up a starting role. Mitrovic changes the threat of this Fulham team, operating as both a foil for the attacking midfielders and a primary goal source himself. His back-to-goal link-up play is hard to defend, while his penchant for a back-post header is almost unrivalled. In addition to the Serb, club captain Tom Kearney has rejoined the starting eleven in the wake of injuries and is scoring goals while Harry Wilson is in exceptional form on the right flank too. How can Southampton trouble Fulham? Fulham haven't kept a clean sheet since February 28th, conceding at least one goal in each of their 11 games since. They've also conceded four penalties in the last three games alone, with defensive mistakes creeping in and the issue exacerbating in the wake of defensive leader Tim Ream's recent season-ended injury. They are not dealing with balls into the box with their usual efficiency, with miscommunications and perhaps some overcompensating from goalkeeper Bern Leno, leading to some rash moments. Southampton must play positively and put Fulham under pressure, and the same way Leicester did on Monday. But complement that by defending against counter-attacks must be much more decisively. It's hard to find the words to reflect how hugely disappointing Monday night was for us all. This isn't a position any of us wanted to find ourselves in. Everyone knew how much was at stake at Forest. When it doesn't go your way and you come out of the wrong side once again, the way forward is paved with even more uncertainty. I can only wish the boys the best of luck out there today and encourage them to give it their all. Soon comes the time to reflect before looking ahead and marching on. This great club has experienced hard times before and come back stronger. We must embrace this next chapter together. The prospect of relegation from the Premier League is a challenge not just for our club, but the fans too. And the entire city. That's why showing our support for the Saints Foundation today on their charity match day has never been more important. You may notice Saints Foundation are proudly displayed on the front of the team shirts for today's game against Fulham. The brilliant Foundation team are out in full force around St Mary's, appealing for your support. If you're in a position where you can help, please give generously. Your donations are vital to improving the lives of thousands of people living in Southampton. I'm incredibly proud to be a Saints Foundation ambassador, a role I've held for a number of years now. Over the years, 
I've advocated for their cause and raised some significant sums, including riding their big bike challenge, taking on the Southampton Half Marathon and even running a marathon in my garden over lockdown. For me, Saints Foundation is a family affair. My daughter Kenzie is also an ambassador and my wife Karen joined me on our recent fundraising challenge for the Foundation Benali on Tour, which saw us join 30 inspiring fundraisers in a 26.2 mile trek across the South Downs Way back in March. Our efforts raced over £16,000. It was a tough day, make no mistake. Karen had paid the price by losing a few toenails. But the group camaraderie was brilliant. It was incredibly rewarding to know our pain was for such a good cause. Conversations are already underway on where our Benali on Tour stickers might pop up next. So watch this space. I've also been doing some coaching with a group of young people attending Saints Foundation's kick sessions which are free to young people in the city aged 8 to 18. I was pleased to use my experiences with the club and as someone who grew up in Southampton to connect and inspire their participants, hopefully placing them on a path to do positive things in their own community. The club badge means St Foundation can reach and connect with people who need help in our city. That link between club and charity uniquely places them at the heart of our city. I'm very proud of the work they do and the lives they continue to change. So if you see someone in a Saints Foundation t-shirt today, please take the time to talk to them. Discover for yourself the impact this amazing charity is having here in Southampton. And please, if you can, give generously. Show the same incredible support you've given to the Saints on pitch this season to those working in our community. Thank you. Franny.